You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection's streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Screenwriter and critic Robert Taylor joins me today to discuss family drama on the Criterion Channel. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, check out Criterion Reflections, hosted by David Blakesley. Join David and his guests on their chronological journey through the films of the Criterion Collection. Each episode provides an in-depth discussion into the cultural context for the films discussed and covers Criterion releases on DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, and the Criterion Channel. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. CriterionCast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is screenwriter and critic Robert Taylor, as well as a friend of the show. Uh, Robert, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be back and uh, join you for the family drama episode. Now, is there a reason you picked me specifically for the family drama? You have such a a love of cinema and you have such a love of different genres of cinema as well and uh, uh, I just thought you know I've had you on for so many different uh, conversations and why not bring you on for for something you know the the holidays you know you are a, a dear friend of the show and so let's let's spend the holidays with Robert and <laughs> uh, and uh, but before we do that let's check in how are things going and and what's going on in your world right now I am here in Ohio, just uh, tuckered da- hunkered down uh, for the holiday itself, trying to stay as safe as possible. I got my booster shot. It was rough, but it was more than worth it. And uh, watching a bunch of old film noir. Um, I'm watching every Humphrey Bogart noir that I have not seen, mm. and... Let me tell you, there is a lot of racism in those that I was not <laughs> expecting. Yeah, but also yeah. a couple really good hidden gems that are not racist. That's great. Uh, any Anything that has stood out to you so far? Um, I very much enjoyed his sort of breakthrough role uh, with They Drive By Night. It's him, George Raft, who is weirdly not wooden, uh, Idol Lupino as a wonderful, wonderful femme fatale. And it seems like it's going to be a family drama until Idol Lupino comes in and starts murdering people, which is always fun. And uh, <laughs> she's very young, and I can see exactly why she became the superstar that she, came, she became. I also have watched uh, High Sierra, which uh, the Criterion Edition unfortunately had some of the aforementioned racism in it. Um, But there are some really good ones. Deadline USA, which is all about uh, the newspaper business and them figuring out a murder in there is is pretty fantastic. And I also loved his final film, The Harder They Fall. There's something always morbid about watching an actor's last film. You're always sort of watching to see how sick they look. And I have to say, he did not look sick at all. He just gives an excellent performance in a very, very good movie. That's good. That's awesome. And 
what about you, my friend? What are you up to for the holidays? Oh, oh, the holidays for me are, uh, you know, I have, uh, I am at the tail end of a vacation. I just finished recording a uh, an episode of the Criterion Cast Best of the Year episode. Uh, so that was a, a, a pleasure to get to join in with the Criterion Cast crew for that. And um, yeah, you know, just plugging away. I'm watching a lot of uh, trying to catch up with end of year films. I just finished the International Documentary Association's fall screening series. So watched a lot of docs and have a few more docs to watch for the uh, IDA awards before I vote there and um, trying to get a get get ready to close out 2021 and hope that 2022 is maybe just marginally better. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it being a dumpster fire as long as it's not 15 dumpster fires. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just would like to not almost die. That's my, that's my goal. For, for I would really <laughs> like you to not die as well. I, know. I kind yeah, of need yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> What's going on in your uh, professional life? What are you up to if uh, you can talk about that? Um, well, I cannot talk about my new pilot, unfortunately, but I can say that uh, available on streaming services everywhere is the feature adaptation of uh, the television show that I worked on for eight seasons, Spirit Writing Free. It's called Spirit Untamed. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Julianne Moore. And it's a darn good family movie with some beautiful imagery. And I am very proud of my dear friend, Ori Wallington, who was the showrunner on the show of the work she did on the movie. And if you have kids or if you're a kid at heart, I highly recommend checking out Spirit Untamed. Well, let's let's dive into the new titles for December and uh, talk a little bit about the lineup for December. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to do the full rundown that I used to do because uh, as I'm trying to play around with the format a little bit, uh, it's uh, a little intense to try to do that that full rundown that I used to do. The Breathless list Plus, of Plus there title. are approximately 1,454 new movies. Exactly, exactly. But I do want to just highlight, I mean, there's some things here that are big surprises. I mean, the the Hitchcock for the Holidays is, I mean, that is a, that's a, a, a list of films that I did not think we would see on the Criterion channel, right? I mean, those oh, are all yeah. studio films. I am films, surprised right? in the most pleasant way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we have female gays, women directors, women cinematographers. And while there are a lot of films that are part of the permanent collection that have been gathered together, there are also just, again, a lot of really incredible films that they've brought in that are a part of this uh, set uh, from, you know, Anya Svarda, from Chantal Ackerman, from Claire Denis. I mean, for, and, and current films too i see you know the miseducation of cameron post uh mm, so uh, good. you know there's just a lot of really great films there we've got that uh italian neorealism bundle i it just it goes on and on <laughs> so much great content that has been added to the uh the channel this month i uh, know i was so wanting to go into miracle in milan because it's mm -hmm. Have you seen it yet? It's I have so not seen good. It yet. It's no. so wonderful. It's like a Chaplin movie. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one that has, you know, that's one that is a, that's an old laser disc release that is coming back into the collection too. Cause I think it's a, mm-hmm. now a Janus title. So it's, it's, it's such a, such a cool, there's so much here, right? <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even said the Joseph Cotton collection, which it has Niagara in it, which is a terrible, terrible movie, <laughs> but at least, you know, Marilyn Monroe is quite good in it. But the yeah. other four movies are the Magnificent Amberson yeah. Shadow of a Doubt, which I'll get to in a few minutes. Spoiler alert. Gaslight, <laughs> which is, you know, probably still the best portrait of a nervous breakdown ever yeah. on film. And the third man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's incredible, this this lineup here. Well, let's dive into the kind of what we've been really excited about that is uh, on the channel. Uh, Robert, what are you really, what has stood out to you the most this month? Well, as I said, I was thinking about doing Miracle in Milan, but then I was like, you know what? This is the family drama episode. <laughs> and we did, you guys did do film noir last month. So why not spotlight Shadow of a Doubt, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of Hitchcock's top three movies. It is certainly a family drama. And, you know, who can cut you deeper than family? Yeah. And in this case, it's a serial killer who it just happens to be your uncle. Am I right? It's a beautifully rendered movie. It's. The performances specifically by Joseph Cotton are just incredible. It has Hitchcock's wife, Alma Revel, wrote the screenplay with Sally Benson and Thornton Wilder. Yes, our town's Thornton Wilder. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that is just about as flawless as they come. And yeah. my favorite thing in the movie of many, many favorite things is how Teresa Wright's father and Hume Cronin as the neighbor just keep talking about wanting to murder people the entire movie, <laughs> completely unaware that there is a serial killer sitting across the table from them. Oh, it just, this is the type of movie that brings me joy to think about. And while I'm watching it, I am fully emotionally engaged. Yeah. Plus one of the best climaxes in any Hitchcock movie. Yeah, this is uh, hands down, I think my favorite Hitchcock film. I really love this this movie and I love that it also plays with the wrong man tropes mm-hmm. that uh that Hitchcock uses throughout his career and you know it 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 plays with your expectations of the wrong man trope uh, so often and uh it's just it's it's an outstanding slyly subversive film in so many ways and uh kind of peeling back the almost seedy underbelly of small town life and i just i love it i love it so much uh joseph cotton demi is just magnificent in this film as well and uh yeah, I I think this is this is a a really outstanding outstanding work from from Hitchcock. Um, it's also one of those rare movies with Hitchcock where normally you remember two or three of the performances, you know, one of the leads, two of the supporting characters. Yeah, this is one of those rare movies where every single character, if you mention the younger daughter, you know exact, you remember her exactly, yep. you remember her best lines. If you mention the mother, if you mention the police officer love interest, all of them are indelible and they're perfectly cast and they are perfectly rendered in the film itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm curious to know for you, what's the, or what's the thing for this, from this film that really stands out to you in the midst of the other, you know, you had a lot of, of Hitchcock to choose from. What's the thing that made this stand out the most to you? It's honestly, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert, you might want to fast forward a minute or two if you have never <laughs> seen Shadow of a Doubt, but if you haven't, how dare you? It's really sort of the epilogue of the movie is the thing that always lingers with me the longest, right? It's Charlie has died, He's only be- he fell off the train, he's only been in town for like two months, and yet the entire town comes out to mourn him they talk about how he was their favorite son and young charlie the the female charlie Teresa wright's character sits there and she has to take it and she has to listen to it complicit in all of these lies that everyone is telling because she knows that her mother is weak and because she knows her father will never understand because she knows that the town itself you know needs this lie Mm. it's just it's such a haunting epilogue one of Mm. the most beautiful beautifully written passages in any noir i feel like mm-hmm. what about yeah. you what's your favorite sequence oh i you know i think it is the uh the moment of realization for charlie for, mm-hmm. for young charlie and the she's so desperate to to prove that he is innocent yeah um and that that the ways in which we as children as young adults as uh as young people are often brought into uh covering for the dysfunctions of our families of of people who are maybe uh who were abusers or who are the ones who are caught wreaking havoc in others lives and uh what happens when the 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 truth is laid bare. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that is just such a, a powerful moment in the film. And, uh, uh, you know, I think that as I've been working my way th- through reworking my way through Hitchcock and revisiting films that I saw when I was first getting into classic cinema, some of the films have held up better than others. I think that one of the things that really stands out to me is that the the films that really hold up are the ones that are, the ones that he collaborated with really great writers mm. and having Thornton Wilder, one of the great writers, one of the great playwrights of, uh, of, uh, of the American theater, really, really digging in here. You, you just really get a really rich and emotionally resonant film. I agree. I rewatched the remake of man who knew too much, which in my memory, yeah. I love. Yeah. And oh boy, is that not written well at all? Same <laughs> thing for Saboteur. Yeah. Both of them are just sort of stinkers. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess young Robert had sort of just remembered the big set pieces and just mm-hmm. remembered, you know, oh, Jimmy Stewart is so dreamy and stuff like that. But then, oh boy, he does need someone who can write good dialogue. Yeah. They're fine. They're fun. I, I still enjoy them for what they are. But yeah, it it was interesting in comparing the the man who knew too much, the earlier version with the remake, you know, seeing how much agency the the wife has in the original version with how much she is sidelined in the remake is Yeah, the original is, is so, so much better. So yeah. much. 
yeah, it's it's really striking. Um, so yeah, I, I I find it I find it interesting to to just see the just how to have some of the the sheen kind of rubbed off of of Hitchcock a little bit as I'm coming to him now with kind of some years of experience, right? Yeah. That said, Rope, Rear Window, and yeah. pardon me, Lifeboat all really held up for me. Yeah. So did Young and Innocent. Yeah. Those yeah. ones were pretty sterling in my book. So after yeah. you finish Shadow of a Doubt, check those out. Yeah, there's some good ones in there. Yeah, definitely. Well, all right, so uh, tell me all about your choice, because I have not seen it, and I need to know everything right now. Go. <laughs> yes. Uh, so my my choice, the, the film that has stood out to me is uh, Faya Dei. This is one that Criterion and Janus Films have gotten the rights to. So they are going to be distributing it, uh, and this will eventually get a, a physical media release as well. Uh, it was really exciting to see after the initial announcement was made that this was going to be popping up on the channel uh, mid-month as well. This is a documentary from Jessica Bashir, and it's been making the festival circuits over the last year. I saw it first at the uh, Seattle International Film Festival back in April uh, when they were doing their virtual festival. It also was um, part of the International Documentary Associations, part of their uh, online screening series. Uh, it's getting a lot of love right now uh, in the award season, so people are uh, nominating it for a lot of different uh, awards right now as well. This is a really meditative piece of nonfiction cinema that looks at the production of Cat, which is a plant that creates euphoria. It's a highly addictive plant. And it's taken over a lot of the the farming and a lot of the the crop production in Ethiopia. And most people are uh, kind of have been brought into the production of it. Um, and a lot of the population have been brought into the the use of it as well. And it looks at the the cost to the society. Um, it looks at the ways it it dulls the senses. But all of this is done in this poetic reverie. There's a lot of voiceover. There are a lot of meditations and ruminations from the the people who are working the fields, the the younger generation who are trying to escape who are trying to make a better life for themselves, but uh, for whom there's there's not much more than than what they are doing right now. It's a magnificent film. It's shot in just gorgeous black and white. All of the interviews are done via voiceover. So again, it creates this dreamlike quality throughout the film. It's just, uh, it's a magnificent, magnificent film that uh, I just, I cannot speak highly enough. And uh, it's really heartbreaking and really beautiful. And uh, really, it's a, it's just a really, really gorgeous film. So that, as you were describing it, I have added it to my queue. I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's mesmerizing. 
cannot cannot recommend it highly enough. And uh, I think that uh, we also have a short film from Jessica Bashir that has been on the channel for a long time. Uh, I think it since the channel launched. So I think she is a a documentarian that uh, is someone to definitely watch. So, yeah. I have to say, I also love the, and this is also a vague spoiler alert, the diversity of titles that we always pick when we're talking together. I know. It's delightful, right? It could not be further from Shadow of a Doubt if you tried. (laughs) No, and that's part of the joy. I mean, and that's that's part of what is so exciting about what's on the Criterion channel, right? Mm -hmm. There is so much there. There's so much uh, up, and uh, I find that really exciting. Uh, Yeah. Well, as I always like to say, Criterion giveth and Criterion taketh away. And uh, I think uh, our friend Michael Hutchins said that this is uh, one of the largest uh, purges of titles of any uh, in recent years. And uh, we're losing a lot of films this month. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's pretty pretty heartbreaking to see everything leaving but out of the stuff that has been uh that we're that we're we're seeing leave what stood out to you what are some of the things that have really kind of captured your attention and uh that that you think people should catch uh and if they they don't catch it this month what are things that you think that they should definitely try to seek out after it's left well first of all i have to agree with you that it's so many movies that's so heartbreaking and i know <laughs> i feel like i could have picked 20 movies yeah. but yeah. the two that i want to spotlight are in the art house animation bundle and i have to say i feel like after i saw them mm. i was sort of a different person mm. like there was the before that and then after i finished them i was like how do people not know about this it's so incredible and then i just want to tell the world about it and that includes you and your fine audience. The two movies are, they could not be more different. The Wolf House and then Millennium Actress. The Wolf House is not only one of the scariest movies ever made, it is unlike anything I have ever seen on film before. And I'm not trying to make that sound overhyped, but watching it itself, the way that they use stop motion animation is unlike any stop motion I have seen before. The crayon drawings, the paintings, the puppetry it's it's astonishing to watch and the fact that the storyline is for all intents and purposes a a nazi indoctrination movie makes Mm -hmm. it terrifying have you seen it yeah it's uh it's something (laughs) it's 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 pretty incredible um it's one that i definitely need to watch again because I feel like there's so much there and there are so many layers and so many, so many things within it that I know I did not get on first viewing because the symbolism is so just heavy in this film. It's, it's mesmerizing and the way that one scene morphs into the next and the ways in which it plays with ideas of safety and the way it plays with uh, coercion. Uh, It just, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's the type of movie where whenever I would have friends over to my house, it would, 
I would just say, hey, we're just going to watch five minutes of this movie. Yeah. And I would put on the five minutes and watch my friend's jaws drop. Yeah. And then the other movie is Millennium Actress. Now, this film I almost don't want to say anything about because part of the joy of the film itself is to experience it for the first time not knowing anything. I didn't know anything about it when I started it. I was just looking at movies in the bundle. And it sort of changed the way I looked at movies. It's the movie for movie lovers. It's the type of movie that could only be made by someone who is as obsessive as you and I are, Josh. Someone who has seen essentially every movie that there is out there and has a very specific perspective and point of view. And again, I don't really want to say too much about it because the joy of the film is you realizing what it's actually about. But Mm. I will say just it's 70 minutes, put it on. It's worth it. It's more than worth it. Have you seen it, sir? Yeah, I, I, I really, really love this film. It's, it's beautiful. It's moving. Um, Melanie and I recently watched Tokyo Godfathers, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the others from Satoshi Kon and, Again, just the ways in which he plays with animation and plays with the the things you can do in animation is just really striking. And uh, the there's something so generous and humane and uh, warm about uh, both Tokyo Godfathers and Millennium Actress that I find really beautiful. And uh, I I'm incredibly moved by both of those films yeah the art house animation bundle is one of the best bundles that criterion channel has ever done i spotlighted those two but i mean just look at like marion max is in there it's such a beautiful day is in there it's uh paprika is it like oh my god (laughs) yeah there's a lot there's a lot of things that are just incredible right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, speaking of incredible, I have seen the movie that you have picked. And yeah. I'm so happy that you picked this. Yeah, I really really think that uh Jafar Panahi's Three Faces is a special film. I think that, you know, to have a an Iranian filmmaker who is is under a ban from making movies and yet he still finds ways to make movies and get them out and he makes these subversive films these films that are that continue to be meta commentaries on the nature of filmmaking reflections on iranian society reflections on the filmmaking process themselves he finds these ways to sneak around the the rules and uh, I just, I am impressed by what he does. I am just reminded that that there are filmmakers who, they're filmmakers and they're going to continue to work in spite of the restrictions and in spite of the, the things that are placed upon them by governments. And uh, this is a film uh, in which uh, Panahi plays himself and he and a, an actress an actress that he had worked with in the past, they receive a video from a young girl who uh, has 
according to the video, committed suicide because her family won't allow her to study theater. And they go on a road trip to try to find the girl and see if she has actually committed suicide, if she is if she is uh, gone. Along the way, they encounter all sorts of, of people and encounter a lot of generosity, but they also encounter the traditions and the things that would force a young girl, that would keep her from joining the the university to study theater and uh there are just all of these layers that again you you peel back all of these different slices of the film and there are all of these different layers of meta commentary on the nature of film on the nature of iranian society the the documentary aspects but also the performance aspects uh commentaries on art and craft it's just a really uh, almost kaleidoscopic look at culture and society and art and uh it's just a magnificent film i echo every one of your sentiments i will also say i was not expecting it to hit home about womanhood as much as yep. it did and it brought me to tears at several different in several different passages i also yeah. think that it is his sort of closest cousin to his mentor kiristami's style in a way it feels yeah. like his freest movie in yeah. that way and oh it's just any movie from him at this point is you know <laughs> cause to celebrate because he's had uh, is this his third or his fourth since the van? I it's his he's fourth. had taxi. This is not a film. Is there another one that I'm forgetting? A uh, closed curtain. Okay, I have not seen closed yeah. curtain. But yeah. any anyone is a cause to celebrate, and the fact that it's this good just makes things better. Yeah, like you said, to have it be this emotional and to have it be this uh, rich and resonant. And yet this experimental, too, is just so uh, astonishing. 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's incredible. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of December. And just so, it, depending on when this is uh, edited and pieced together, The Wolf House is available on uh, Shudder. If uh, it's not available, in, if you don't yeah, get to it before the end. <laughs> and, yes, exactly. Uh, Millennium Actress is available on Hoopla, which is the library streaming service. And uh, can and uh, Three Faces is available on Canopy. And then all of those are also available on uh, various uh, video on demand platforms as well. So uh, they're all available to watch on other platforms if you happen to miss them uh, on the channel or if this episode happens to be released after uh, the end of the month, depending on my editing prowess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robert, you know, we're going to be talking today about family drama, and uh, I'm I'm curious, what is it that you go to, you know, when you when you approach a film that is a family drama? What are some of the things that you look for in a family drama? What are the the hallmarks for you about this genre? I think that the thing that is most important to me, aside from the, 
they don't even have to be related by blood for it to be a family drama. But what is important to me is the fact that it feels honest and that it approaches issues that approaches, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be political. It can also be religious, but it has to approach things that families argue about, bicker about, disagree about sometimes, find strength in one another in one another over. It has to be about that push-pull between different personalities within a body itself. And that sort of has driven my two choices for later. What about you, though? What makes a good family drama for you? Yeah, you know, I think that authenticity is really is really key. I, I like I like what you're saying there. I think I'm looking for something that also gives me a window into motivations for characters. You know, I want to know why people behave the way they do. I think, you know, going back a little bit to uh, Love and Basketball, which we talked about uh, a little earlier, you know, th- that I think maybe we talked about it in the Patreon pre-show, uh, but that's a film that there are beyond the the romantic drama and beyond the the relationship stuff that goes on there, there are some family drama elements as well. And within that film, you know, I think lesser films would make easy villains or e- easy antagonists of some of the characters. And the film really does a great job of grounding each of those characters and of making them really rich and helping us understand them. It doesn't justify their actions ever, but it helps us understand why they do what they do. Yeah, and, exactly. Even if you disagree with them, you understand yeah. their point of view. Just to echo yeah. what you were saying. Yeah, and to me, that that I, I, want, I want that from uh, a family drama. I want to, to understand why a horribly abusive character is the way they are. I want it to feel like it's grounded in some sort of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are are there some some hallmarks of family drama that, that kind of really stand out to you? Are there some films that you kind of you go back to time and time again? I mean, despite the fact that I think it's sort of tarnished in quality over the the years i think ordinary people is a very sterling example of everything that we're talking about i also feel like tender mercies is a fantastic example of a really good family drama i feel like terms of endearment is another incredibly incredibly good example of this it's characters that you love that you care about steel magnolias for all of its pomp and its hairspray and its over-the-top attitude at its core, even though the characters are not related. It is about a family and the way that they agree, they disagree, they grieve, they get through things. Uh, I think that's another very, very good example. What are some of your favorites? You know, I I, I think I tend to go gravitate towards um, more family dramedies. I think about films like... Home for the Holidays, the one with uh, Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, so I think about films like that that maybe have a little more humor woven in. But I do remember Ordinary People being a really 
a really compelling family drama that that worked for me in a in a way that I didn't expect it to when I finally caught up with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really like Ozu's family dramas. I think those films are so simple and so quiet and yet there's so much emotion there as well. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched Good Morning, which is more comedy than drama, yeah. but like you said, sometimes the best dramas yeah. are the ones that you recognize because, you know, everyone makes fart jokes from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, a, a film that to me is is it's it has never left my favorite films list of all time and this is you know this is one that i saw it opening night or opening day before i had to go to work at blockbuster back in the day this will date me a little bit but i saw royal tannenbaums in the theater and was a sobbing mess by the end of that film yep and it's a film that is very much a comedy and yet there there is something really honest in the way that these characters relate to each other in the midst of all the heightened Andersonian absurdities. There's something emotionally honest, uh, about the character relationships with one another. And I find that really, really beautiful and really moving. I really, I find that really touching. I also, honestly, I, I, I can also go towards the melodrama side and really love the Serkian melodramas mm. or, or the Fassbender, you know, eight hours don't make a day, the family drama there. So I think there are, there's so many different colors of family drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it's, it's all about, give me something that feels authentic to the world that you're creating. It can be heightened. I'm okay with it being heightened, but make it authentic and and give me something genuine within that world. Yeah, we can talk about melodramatic uh, family dramas without, I think, mentioning Almodovar's Volver and, to a lesser extent, his grossly underseen and undervalued Julieta, which I think is just fantastic as well. Yeah, Yeah, I think... think, Amolovar, his stuff is is so precise in that as well. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Well, Robert, what film do you have for us to talk about today? That I uh, picked a weird a one. Recommendation. <laughs> uh, I see that, but I'm excited to to hear more. So, everyone, it, it's Christmas season, right? And I think one of the things that both unites us and tears us apart most is religion. So I wanted to spotlight Carl Theodore Dreyer's Ordet, or The Word, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I say this sort of in shock myself because it took me three viewings to get through it. The first 20 minutes are sort of impossible to get through, but once the movie gets you under its spell, it's something that you can't look away from. And for my money, it has the greatest finale in the history of film. It's something that takes religion, takes faith seriously, but also explores the differences in faith. It's about not just one family, but two families that both believe in God and are both practicing Christians that are harsh with their beliefs. Mm -hmm. However, one is much more harsh than the other one in their beliefs. And I'm looking at it like, wow, these people really, really, really 
take God and take celebrating him seriously. And yet they still manage to find arguments amongst themselves. It's a fantastic cast. It's about a father and three different brothers, one of which is married. She's expecting uh, their first child. One of them believe one of the brothers believes that he is Jesus Christ himself. And I almost I do want to spoil it, but I don't want to spoil what happens. Let's just say the pregnancy does not go as everyone is hoping it would go. But it's also about the two families, hopefully arguing, bickering, coming together and finding faith, not just in God, not just in prayer, not just in hope, but in one another. It's profoundly moving. It's beautiful. I fully understand that with Dreyer especially, it requires some patience. But I will say, make it through that 20 minutes and you won't be able to leave your chair. You will love it. You will adore it. And I would also highly recommend reading Roger Ebert's review of it, which is one of the finest bits of writing that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. I assume you must love it, Josh, yes? You know, I have not seen this one yet. I have Josh! Not, I know, I have not made it uh, to the... Uh, the dryer box set in my my criterion viewing and uh it's a blind spot for me so yeah, uh, i'm really eager to watch movie it about religion ever produced <laughs> oh that's great that's great no this is one that i am really eager to uh to see you know there are there are a lot of films in the collection that you know i just haven't made it to yet and uh, I look forward to savoring them, right? As the time comes to to get to to view them, uh, I still have those blind spots, and uh, I know that as I get ready to dive into them, I know I'm going to be really excited to to sit and just uh, uh, feast on the film. And I know that uh, this is. Uh, the set of films that were released kind of early in the Criterion run, I know that those three are going to be just really masterpieces to enjoy. Yeah, Dreyer is, uh, most people consider Passion of Joan of Arc one of the top ten movies of all time, and I cannot argue against this. I think that it is fundamentally, possibly one of the top three performances ever captured on film. It's profoundly moving, however... For my money, this is the movie that he was born to make. This mm-hmm. is the movie that can change the way you look at God, look at yourself, and look at your family. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the three that I've seen of his. Uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, Vampire, and Master of the House. I think all three of those were really compelling and like you said, Passion of Joan of Arc is, you know, a masterpiece. But now, Josh, when you do see it, you can yes. feel free to text me during those first 20 minutes and be like, Robert, <laughs> it does get better, right? It does. <laughs> and I promise you it does. That's good to know. That's good to know. Like I said, the finale will all but lift you out of your chair and make you, you know, it'll make you transcend. It'll make you weep. It's just movies don't get better than those last three or four minutes of the film. Um, That said, I don't think your choice is half bad either. (laughs) I I really, uh, this is one that I saw this year for the first time, and I've been working my way through Yoshitaro Nomura's 
filmography, the the films that we have of his on the channel, slowly over the last, I don't know, last few years, just kind of in bits and pieces. And The Demon was next up on the list of films that just kind of came up randomly uh, in my viewing queue. And this is one that took me by surprise. Uh, this is from 1978, and uh, it is a absolutely brutal film. It is a difficult, difficult film about child abuse, uh, child abandonment, and uh, neglect in Japan's post-war years. The story is uh, about a... We see a woman trying to find... Uh, uh, a man who who owns a print shop and we discover that she is his mistress and she has three children by him and uh, uh, he had been promising and he had been taking care of them for a while but as his business has been failing he hasn't been sending money he hasn't been coming out to visit and so the children are hungry the children are needing money they need food Food, they need clothes, and uh, the the mistress leaves the children with him, and she disappears. And the the man and his wife then uh, are struggling with what to do with this. The wife is absolutely livid that this is happening and that she has now been saddled with three children. The husband is trying to take care of the kids at first, uh, but as the film goes on it gets darker and uh darker it's really interesting to see nomura you know most of his work the work that i've seen of his have been more uh, police procedurals and it's interesting to see him take those techniques and apply them to the family melodrama and it takes the the horrifying actions that happen throughout the film and it keeps it really grounded we understand the hurt and the betrayal that the wife feels at having been cheated on, at having been betrayed by her husband. Uh, but we see how that how that shapes her and how that begins to to twist her and twist her anger. And we we see the father trying to do right by his children at first. And yet we see this kind of sickening chain of events that leads the adults in this family into committing uh, really horrible atrocities uh, over the course of the film. It's really, really uh, uh, an incredible film. It's hard, but uh, I think this is a just a... a a really, really strong, compelling, very dark domestic drama. I think you kind of nailed it. I don't really have much to add, except I think the performance of the father, who I'm trying to remember his name, he was in Mishima Life and Fortune, Ken Ogata, right? Yeah, Ken Ogata, yeah. Okay. Um, I think he's incredible in this, just showing everything stripped away from him and yep. what he does with the performances is pretty astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a masterful performance. I think that you know, I think uh, Nomura was such a socially conscious filmmaker and to do something that really shone a light on something that was a an issue within Japanese society, it's a it's a really really powerful film and uh, I think it it's uh it's stinging 
it's a stinging film and i think that it's it transcends kind of the time and place and i think it 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 has some universal applications to the way that i think adults do treat their children wonderful choice my friend yeah well thank you thank you well those are our recommendations for films that are on the criterion channel what do you have for us uh, that are on uh that's on a different streaming service i have wild tales which for some reason i have never seen until this year and everyone had told me that i would love it but for some reason i had put it off and put it off now the film itself is a bunch of shorts put together all Mm. around the theme of a person who has reached their breaking point and i want to spotlight the final uh short which is about 25 minutes long and is just impeccably, impeccably made. It's at a Jewish wedding where a woman finds out that her husband has been cheating on her. This is at the, this is directly after the ceremony at the reception itself. And the lengths that she goes to get revenge on him. And then the lengths that he goes to, to get revenge back on her for the revenge that she had on him. It's this back and forth, almost like a tennis match that takes place over the course in real time of about 20, 25 minutes. And it's big, it's melodramatic, it captures the madness that is family so well, beautifully, brilliantly shot, fantastically written, wonderfully acted. And the other shorts in the film are also great. However, for me, this is the masterpiece of the bunch. That sounds really fantastic. Uh, I don't know that I'd heard about this film. Uh, So it's, it was nominated for best foreign film. I had had a couple of friends from AFI tell me that it was worthwhile, but for me, anthology films are often not worthwhile because you get one good one and then the rest of them are kind of trash. However, in this one, every one of the shorts is good. This one just happens to be the best, and it's one of the best short films I think I've ever seen in my life. I know that I am throwing a lot of hyperbole at my choices this time, but (laughs) I genuinely have picked the all-timers that are all, I think, comfortably in my top 100, 150 movies. Oh, that's great. That's great. No, that that sounds really great just as I'm looking it up. This sounds like a really, really compelling, compelling film. I I find, like you said, anthology films can be hit and miss, but sometimes, uh, you know, I I find them a lot of fun. And uh, I think this this looks like it could be a really, really compelling film. So this is nothing but hit after hit after hit. And it's available on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, so tell me about yours. This is another one that I have not seen. Uh, well, this is House of Hummingbird. Uh, it is a South Korean drama from director Kim Bora. This is a, a really beautiful film uh, from 2018 that uh, is available on Hoopla, which is one of the library streaming services. You can also find it on various video on demand places. This is about a a 14-year-old girl who is uh, preparing to enter high school and it's a coming of age story about the the ways that this this teenage girl she sees the world 
about the ways that she is trying to trying to connect with a boyfriend, trying to connect with friends, trying to connect with the world and uh, finding that shattered by the abuses that she suffers at home. Her uh, brother is abusive and will beat her and her family turns a blind eye to it. It is a fairly long film, but the the film is made up of these really tiny moments and these really beautiful things that that the camera really allows us to become her viewpoint so that we see the world through her eyes. This is the type of film that could easily be melodramatic, it could easily be overly sensationalized, but even though this is a film that deals with abuse, that deals with uh, familial violence, it's not centered on that. It's centered on this young girl's uh, experiences and on the ways in which she is trying to move through the world and trying to find her way in the world. And this is a part of that, though the... the the ways in which uh, misogyny and sexism pl- and the family play into that, the ways in which the older son is preferenced, the ways in which uh, she is dismissed and ignored. This is something that that any of the any one element could easily be contrived. It could easily be feel like it was something that was wrote or part of a uh, a script that felt too to pat but because the 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 director because her her filmmaking style is so gentle and so unassuming there's something that just feels so lived in and feels so authentic and uh the the family life is just so well observed it just is beautifully beautifully realized i think this is a uh just an incredible credible film like all good coming of age stories i feel like it really focuses on some of the the subtle shifts of growing up and what it takes for for her to really decide to to change and to come into her own and to be who she is meant to be gorgeous gorgeous film that i cannot recommend highly enough it seems to me like you have recommended this specifically for me because everything you said is exactly what I love in movies. So um, I, I'm here it's for safe you. safe to say as soon as this is over, I will be watching it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to see where uh, this director, where she's going to go next. I just, I think that this is one that played at the Seattle International Film Festival a few years ago, and I missed it when it played and uh, was really happy to see it this year. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited. Uh, that uh, it's out and available for people to watch. This sounds like catnip for Robert. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Robert, we did it. We made it. We did it. Our, our, our discussions of family drama. And uh, uh, thank you for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. Anytime, my friend. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And yeah, that's about it. I miss you a bunch, and I hope that as soon as you're better, you come down and visit L.A. 
Oh well, thank you, thank you. I will definitely do my do my my darndest, as they <laughs> as the kids are saying these days. Where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me at my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Bob Taylor. It's Robert Taylor, made it in college. Don't judge me. <laughs> they can also find me on Instagram at Robert Taylor Writer of Stuff, or they can go on the Robert Taylor Odyssey website up and coming. I have Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I'm very excited about. Fantastic Neo nice. Noir. And I think it's legitimately a neo-noir rewatching yeah. it. I was surprised yeah. by that. <laughs> then I have Clouseau's The Raven coming up and then the remake by Otto Preminger that no one has seen and is impossible to track down. And I had to contact the studio in order to view. Nice. So <laughs> that's what's coming up through the end of the year. Uh, for me. Awesome. That's awesome. Robert, thank you so much. This has been so much fun to talk to you today. Yay! You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at criterionchannelsurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show, And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to continue to thank all of our Patreon supporters. It really does mean so much that you're supporting the show. Thank you. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, my guest and I will sit down to discuss world travels. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.